Coming up on Stu Does America, how dare somebody use their black magic of foresight and upsell needed goods to the coronavirus panic masses? We look at the evils of price gouging. Sarah Gonzalez joins the program to talk about our current pandemic and what level of the freakout meter we should actually be on. And Blaze TV media critic Rob Eno talks about the media and how they're handling the coronavirus, plus how he's personally going to handle the disappointment of losing Tom Brady as the quarterback of his evil football team. For all of you podcast listeners, thank you so much for subscribing and listening and then rating and reviewing our content so highly. We ask you so much, and I'm so sorry, but please keep it up. If you're on YouTube, please ring the little bell in the corner so you can get updates every time we post a video. And share the podcast on social media. Today's sharing phrase is, dude, this show is lit and stuff. Just type that out. Everyone will know what it means, and they will flock to this program big time. And if you like this show and you want more excellent conservative content like it, head to blazetv.com slash stew and consider a subscription. Use the promo code stew. I'll knock 10 bucks off just for you and for letting the network know that you like this ridiculous program. Always remember, Tom Brady can quit the Patriots, but I can't quit you. Stew does America. St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Who is ready to celebrate? Oh, they quarantine everyone. There's no one here with me. And by celebrate, by the way, I mean lock yourself inside your home while pouring off-brand liquor down your lonely, isolated throat. With everything going on, it's hard to get in the mood to party, isn't it? In fact, there's only one surefire way to truly immerse yourself in Irish culture. It's Barack Obama's Irish accent. To all his autumn. I'm happy to be in Ireland. I'm happy to be with so many Akoja. Born in Kenya? No, no. That man was born in Dublin. More specifically, he was born in the tiny Irish village of Dolphin's Barn, right next to the Teeling Whiskey Factory and Distillery and the Guinness Storehouse, both of which you'd have to be drinking to think that was a good Irish accent. Now, Back to the apocalypse. Have you seen this bastard on your social media feed? Have you? <laughs> His name is Matt Colvin from Hickson, Tennessee. After noticing the possibility of an outbreak, he and his brother Noah drove around Chattanooga and the surrounding suburbs to locate every container of Clorox wipes and bottle of hand sanitizer that they could find with the idea of reselling them on Amazon for a big profit. If you've seen this story, you might have seen it surrounded by expletives and death threats. In the middle of a pandemic, this guy is hoarding supplies that people need just to line his pockets. Damn you, price gouger! But luckily, the universe got its revenge. Amazon pulled thousands of price gouging listings, and now he's stuck with 17,700 packs of sanitizer and wipes that he can't sell. Justice has been served! Did Matt Colvin do something wrong? Well, quite clearly, yes. He violated the first rule of life in America. Don't talk to the New York Times. The Times was able to make a villain out of this guy and surely ruin his life just for running his business. He has the very 21st century job of retail arbitrage, which is, I can never say arbitrage actually correctly, but I mean, is that even a job? I guess it is uh, in today's world. Basically, he finds something at a store that's underpriced and sells it 
uh, on the internet for a profit. On the food chain of life, it's somewhere kind of like in between infectious disease specialist and guy who hands me a towel inside a bar bathroom for tips. But closer to the bathroom guy. Now, it's not like he helped himself at all here. I will say, here's a quick lesson in crisis PR for you. Uh, number one, don't talk to the New York Times. Number two, if the accusation is that you're killing families by hoarding sanitizer, don't wear a shirt that calls yourself a family man. This is just basic PR. Uh, number three, don't do follow-up interviews. And if you do a follow-up interview, don't wear the family man shirt again. Now, if you do a, this is number four, if you do a follow-up interview, try to answer questions without pausing for like 23 minutes. Would you say you're sorry? Sorry for purchasing, sorry for buying all of this product? No, I don't think that I would. <laughs> I love this guy. I don't know what it is about him. I love him. Did he actually do anything wrong other than talking to the New York Times? Here's the thing, and this is difficult to hear for a lot of people. Price gouging is good. Why? Well, first of all, what is the actual cause of the problem here? Supplies are low because people are panic buying way more sanitizer than they need. Guess what stops that? Price gouging. Price gouging stops panic buys because you're not going to buy 29 cases of Clorox wipes if they're priced too high. You'll only buy what you need. The problem here is that the stores didn't adjust their pricing for the demand. So it attracted an army of people in ridiculous family man t-shirts to grab as much as they could hold. Not to mention price gouging gets resources to areas that don't have them. If you ever had a hurricane and you had an area's just devastated. Charging eight bucks for a bottle of water is evil, right? No, not at all. People go the opposite way uh, than everyone else following a natural disaster. They're not going to do that to charge 85 cents for a bottle of Aquafina. The profit margin, if it gets big enough, it will attract people willing to take chances and go into difficult areas to reach. Of course, 99% of people who see someone truly in need and with no resources are going to help them out anyway. But we want to incentivize people to serve areas in need, not drive them in the other direction. Another example, I mean, if it's, let's say, snowing and miserable outside, do you want to drive? No, you're probably going to stay in, right, unless you absolutely have to go. So why would an Uber driver bother picking anyone up? Surge pricing. They are willing to deal with the additional hassle for the promise of higher profits. Does it make them evil because they didn't want to drive around in more difficult conditions for the same exact amount of money? No. There's increased demand, and they should be rewarded for bringing the supply. Going back to the example of our family man and his sanitizer. The person in San Diego that really wanted hand sanitizer badly enough to spend 40 bucks on it had no ability to purchase the sanitizer being sold in the hole-in-the-wall corner store outside of Chattanooga. And the people near the hole-in-the-wall in Chattanooga hadn't purchased it. Price gouging moved the item from the place where it was sitting on a shelf to a place where it was needed. Plus, it lets individuals make decisions about their lives instead of government. What exactly is the price that this guy's supposed to be charging here? Do we know? If he drove around all weekend finding this stuff, obviously there should be some markup, right? He spent his time, his gas, and he took the risk. How much is he allowed to charge? Can he charge four bucks for something that cost him $2?
8, 16, 160? Here's an idea. He charges whatever the hell he wants. And if he charges too much, nobody buys it. If you think the price is too high, you don't buy it either. You're an adult. Price gouging, ridiculous term, treats you like you're an adult. You should be happy with that. The bottom line is, of course, that no shortage exists if this stuff is priced at market levels in the first place. And what outcome is better? The outcome where our family man makes a bunch of money and thousands of people receive a product that they wanted for a price that they were willing to pay, or the outcome where 17,700 packs of sanitizer remain in his garage unused. Which one sounds more wasteful? Well, the government, of course, came up with a third outcome. They just took all of his stuff for free. Well, technically, he donated it to a local church, and the government took one-third of it as well. I'm not sure how the government convinced him and pulled that one off. I mean, maybe it was because they were currently investigating him for price gouging. What, what actions did he, what did he do exactly? Sanitizer and Clorox wipes aren't even essential items in this crisis. Soap and water actually work better. Sanitizer is quite literally a convenience product. It is a luxury that you don't even need, sort of like a shirt that describes yourself as a family man. Of course, it's going to cost him a lot more than he spent on sanitizer. His life is basically ruined. He received hate mail and death threats, while one man even banged on his door at his home late Saturday night. Uh, people have posted his address online. He was harassed online. One email said, your behavior is probably going to end up with someone killing you and your wife and your children. Mind you, this is all reported by the New York Times as if they didn't have anything to do with it. Can you believe this? I mean, I can't believe it, guys. I, this poor guy who bought all the sanitizers getting death threats, and we just can't figure out why. Maybe it's a stupid T-shirt. More importantly, and I really hope Matt Colvin hears this. Why are you talking to the New York Times again? How is this possible? These people are trying to get you murdered for selling Purell. Stop talking to them. Who does America? Let's say you have a lot of Purell and Clorox wipes that you need to protect at your home. With home security, there's two ways you can go about doing that. There's the, tra 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 the traditional way, of course, where you uh, wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune. Or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection, two-time winner of the CNET Editor's Choice Award. It blankets your entire home in safety. You get comprehensive protection for all your entire home, outdoor cameras, doorbells that are going to alert you to anyone approaching your home. Uh, entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard inside. And you barely notice it's there because uh, it's really remarkable. You can set this whole thing up yourself. Anybody can do it. it takes 30 minutes to an hour. I mean, uh, if you're me, maybe an hour 15. I mean, if you're really slow. But that's just me. And there's absolutely no trade-offs uh, to your safety because you're getting the army of highly trained security experts ready to dispatch police to your home at a moment's notice 24-7. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. That's why The Verge calls Simply Safe the best home security system in America.
Go to uh, simplysafe.com slash stew today. You're going to get a free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash stew. Make sure you use slash stew because that's how they know you watch this stupid show. It's simplysafe.com slash stew. Joining me on the program, thankfully, because you don't want to have to stare at this anymore. You know, it's awful. Uh, guess Sarah Gonzalez, host of the Blaze TV's The News and Why It Matters, and Sarah Gonzalez Unfiltered on YouTube. She's also recently given her celebrity endorsement of the spring's hottest new product. It's the official Keep the me Your Media Driven Panic oh, the Hell Away From Me isolation bubble. Um, <laughs> which is nice. And protect yourself not from the coronavirus, but from the coronavirus panicked populace. So that's just a... I, I, <laughs> I don't know how much they paid you, but it wasn't enough. Uh, welcome to the That's program. what I'm saying. Thank you. <laughs> I, this is interesting because we had a conversation about this yesterday on, on news about what the government is doing to try to stop the spread. I think you're on the same page where this is a serious thing we're looking at. We yes. don't know where it ends up. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, we're a little scared about uh, restricting people going to out to bars, out to restaurants because of the the I don't know the precedent that it sets is that mainly where your worry is or do you feel like it is more related to you know the economy and these local businesses I think it's both but I would say if I had to pick one that most concerned me it certainly is the slippery slope that you know the precedent that it sets that whenever the government deems something to be a threat to you know national security or the safety of the people um, they can then tell private businesses you can't you have to close down now this place this grocery store you guys can stay open mm. but you have to close down it just feels a lot like the government picking winners and losers in an economy that's about to be devastated from the fact that the government is about to pick winners and losers. Yeah, no, it's true. And that is a real worry. I mean, you could you can see scenarios where a left wing president decides, I don't know, you know, uh, climate change is a real issue and you oil companies. Well, you're the ones doing the damage and you need to close down. I mean, some of that's probably a little bit uh, conservative paranoia, but some of it's probably real. Right. Like, you know, we don't know. And we want one thing we could probably be sure of is after this, if we get by it and everything's fine. And at the end of the day, things go back to normal. There's going to be some sort of Patriot Act style uh, power grab that they're not going to want to give this this power up. They never do. They never do. Once they take the power, they never give it back. And you see this with all of the national emergencies, you know, that they declare. And then you go back 10, 20 years later and they've never ta actually taken that back. Right. Yeah. It's still in effect because that's not what the government is in business to do is to take power away from themselves. Right. They're, they're not here to do no. that anymore. So I do think that it's a really scary precedent to set. And uh, again, I mean, I feel like in this country, like it or not, we all kind of have the freedom to be stupid. Mm -hmm. We also have the freedom to be smart. So if we choose to self-isolate, that's our choice. If we choose to go out and expose ourselves, that's our choice too. However, it's hard to measure, okay, well, where's the in-between of walking the line of this person affecting this person who chose to isolate? Yeah, I mean, because what, what do you do? I mean, I think my preference would be for government to give uh, strongly worded uh, recommendations yeah. and, and hope people go along with them. We've seen some places they haven't. Um, you know, and I, I guess there are legal ways that they could do this as far as like, you know, for example, um, most places have a, a, a rule about you can't serve alcohol past, let's say, 2 a.m. Right. 
they could theoretically move that to 7 p.m., right? Now, that's not good for the businesses. No. Um, but it's it, not good for the people who are quarantined. It's not, it's not good for the drunks at all. Uh, <laughs> that's the main concern. But it, you, know, you could change rules. You could do things like that. There are restrictions. I'm not always comfortable with those restrictions as they stand. There probably are ways they can legally do it. What else do you do, though? I mean, because I don't... I haven't seen any, there's never been a clear punishment if you were to violate one of these things. Right. Um, this happened back in the Boston bombing. If you remember, those guys are out there, they're, they're blowing things up, they're shooting people. They say that everybody in Boston, like, required, uh, mandatory, stay in your place. Now, they can't really do that, per se. <laughs> if people left, what are they going to do? I guess they could, you know, they could comp, you know, impound their cars and they could try to arrest them. That's not the way America is used to living. And I think that's going to be the, the really interesting thing to watch here, because, sure, they're going to try these restrictions. How is America going to react to them? Yeah, I agree. And I think that as conservatives, we so often are saying when it's about, you know, a school shooting and the Democrats go to try to, to make a move to take the guns or whatever. We're the ones who are saying, OK, the last time you want to do something is when they say we have to do something right now. Right. Like we're always constantly saying that's the worst possible time that you can do something is when the government is saying we have to act now. Yeah. Because you're not you're not making a sober decision. Right. You're, right. You're making a decision based on emotion. Right. And I mean, I understand the argument while well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so something has to be done right now. But it just feels like, oh, OK, but yeah. once this is all over, where do we go from there? Right. Because I feel like that is a battle we need to prepare ourselves mentally for. Because even if we get through this and everything's great and it's the best case scenario, whatever that is, which is still kind of scary if you, look, if you believe the experts on this. But at the end of this, there's a battle for rights. Mm -hmm. There's a battle that conservatives are going to have to take up and the leftists, of course, going to try to take them away as they usually do. That's kind of a terrifying, uh, that's a terrifying outcome. I, I wonder, um, kind of backing up for a second and watching the way the media is covering this, you know, a part of it is that, and I think this is part of the reason why at some level it's, you look at the polling and you see that like only like 40% of Republicans believe the worst is ahead when, with the coronavirus. When, I mean, even if you don't think it's going to turn out that bad, clearly the worst is ahead. I mean, right. really nothing's happened. We've right. missed a few bas basketball games and I mean, there's been some limitations, but it hasn't been really that much so far. The worst is definitely ahead. But Republicans are looking at this and they're saying, hey, the media has been going after Donald Trump. And they're using this to attack him. And I don't buy it. And that is the, the environment created by the media that kind of leads people to believe that is a real poison it when is. it comes to trying to inform people in a real crisis. It really is. It's a really dangerous time. It's a dangerous place to be stuck in a place where, you know, politicians lie. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Donald Trump is not the first politician who's lied before. He's not going to no. be the last politician who's lied before. So, you know, politicians lie. You know to take what they say with a grain of salt. But then you have the media who you can't trust at all because you know that their number one goal is to make President Trump look bad no matter what he does, which was evident of how they've handled, you know, him getting tested for the coronavirus and him being exposed to the coronavirus. I mean, nothing he does can suit these people. And it's a, it's a really dangerous place for Americans to be. I do put a lot of responsibility on the media for the way that they have handled just really their coverage of Trump up to this point. Because now Americans can't trust anyone. Yeah. And I think, you know, these two things can be true, right? Like the media is going to use every little bit of this at every advantage and every piece of leverage to try to get a Trump. They're going to make this story into a Trump story, whether we're all getting sick or not. Mm -hmm. Separately, we might all get sick. Right. So we really have to be careful. 
it's hard to communicate that, I think, to people. Like, I think the reverse would be true, too. I think if, if, if uh, you know, if Obama was president and this was going on, I think conservatives would probably be a lot more likely to understand and, and look past the, the, uh, the politics of it all. But the media would be helpful in that instance. And this is where, you know, the, the enemy of the people thing is something that gets tossed around a lot. And I think both of us were kind of like, you know... Initially, I don't love it. You know, you know, I understand what he's saying, but I don't necessarily love the framing. But like when they're repeating Chinese propaganda in story after story after story, did the U.S. plant this as a military virus? It's like it's hard to even deny it at all. Yeah, it's true. Well, and also when you see just the the blatant, obvious, uh, you know, contradiction in the way that they handled uh, they covered Obama, how he handled the swine flu and the amount of deaths that happened before he even took any sort of action to condemn President Trump for his action when he way more swiftly took action than Obama. It's like, okay, (laughs) guys, we see what you're doing. They're not even trying. No. By the way, on this front, uh, I mean, why are we so disposable? I mean, we're the only two people here. (laughs) We're going to be playing tennis for the next uh, three weeks where we're just going to be interviewing each other on each other's shows. There's no one else left. No one cares. Uh, I mean, apparently, yeah, we're just at the the bottom of the totem pole, I guess. Thanks (laughs) a lot, guys. I guess so. I love how, by the way, uh, another thing that's being played out in the media as we go through this is, like, Everyone wants to fit these stories into their narratives. And that's a huge problem, I feel like. For example, uh, the idea that everyone's racist, right? Mm. That's what the left believes. So therefore, they try to fit this in. So when a woman, go, a left wing, I think she was a reporter, goes to a store and sees a bunch of Asian food remaining when all the other food is cleared out, they're like, oh, look at this. No one's buying the Asian food because it's racist. Not thinking that, like, maybe sushi isn't the best thing to stockpile, <laughs> right? Like, these sorts of things... I don't know. Maybe we blow them up into too much, but they're so ridiculous. It's hard not to notice them. It's true. I mean, I don't even want to get sushi delivered. (laughs) I'm worried that in the 20 minutes it takes to deliver it, it's already gone bad. Right, right. So that would just be that's a smart investment strategy is to not buy sushi right now. Just saying. Yes. I mean, really. I mean, look, it's raw fish. Maybe you should just never buy sushi. Like, that's another theory here. Just let the cooks just, just like, put it on the plate, and you can eat it. And if you're not going to the restaurant, probably don't get it. It doesn't seem like a good idea. No. Um, let, me, let me switch gears a little bit here. Coronavirus is in fact. You've obviously already endorsed the bubble company. What, uh, what is home life like, right? Because you are in the same situation. We, yes. we both have young kids right around the same age. Uh, they're going to be home for a while. This is not going to be. I mean, Donald Trump said yesterday uh, that it's going to be July or August until we get our hand around this. This is uh, this is going to be uh, quite a challenge for for parents. Uh-huh. Home life is hell. Yeah. To answer your <laughs> yeah. question, okay. home, right. life, home life is hell. Uh, I think if coronavirus doesn't kill the parents, they're just going to jump off bridges <laughs> themselves by the end of it, because that's tough because you're not only keeping your kids home from school. You can't take them anywhere else. Yeah. You can't take them to the movies. You can't take them to a restaurant to go out to eat. You can't take them to the Chick-fil-A play place. The trampoline park. You can't take them anywhere. anywhere. I mean, it's going to be maddening. And the poor kids, they don't understand. I know. And you don't want them to understand, right? I right. mean, it's a serious thing. Hey, you know, sorry, we can't do this because hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> might die. Isn't the greatest thing no. to do either. It is difficult because, I mean, when you're trying to figure out, they're talking about don't even have play dates. Some of these, some right. of these people. I mean, that is incredibly restrictive. What are your kids doing? They're going to be like on the iPad for 4,000 hours a day. And that's not that's not parenting either. Right. Yeah. Let's mention the long term consequences of that. You got to add in homeschooling on top of this. Yeah. Right. Right. Which makes it difficult if both parents work, too. Mm -hmm. 
because I mean the situation that my husband and I are in we both work full-time we're both up here yeah. mm -hmm. so once you throw in online learning I'm like I, I don't know when that's going to get done yeah when does that get done I have no idea how does it feel that both people in your family are both disposable they've said both of you have to come in here I, I mean I at least they wish have, you luck son yeah good luck with both of us goners <laughs> foraging through the forest for berries <laughs> yeah. it's like, that's the way this ends we've got it? a couple rolls of toilet paper left <laughs> and some canned goods all right so do you, uh, have they given you an idea are you here all week do you have any idea what's happening with the show uh, can people come on the show what is the situation as far as i know we are still here uh we are not going away mm -hmm. Uh, until one until we die right, right? and yeah. then there's mm -hmm. a lawsuit and then they have to shut down the show yeah. but mm -hmm. we if we bring in outside people we've got to be very careful they can't have traveled anywhere recently they have to have been isolated at home so for the most wild. part yeah. and then come in and then they have to sign a, a waiver i think that they've not like had a fever or been exposed or anything. i mean this is like glenn beck nightmare scenario coming true it is right like all the times we've had him on talking about worst case scenario and you know, Glenn, he'll admit it. He's a catastrophist. He, his mind goes to these places. And usually it comes out. I mean, some of the stuff has obviously come true I mean, with, with the, you know, the ISIS. And, and there's been many right. things. There's been economic trouble. He's called before. But this is different than anything I've ever been through in my entire life. It really is. It's true. And I wonder if a part of him is a little bit excited that, like, his, pre <laughs> his prepper yeah. part of him is yeah. like, Oh my God, I finally get to bust into my stash of all of this emergency food that I've been storing up forever. I have so many dried beans I've been waiting <laughs> to eat. And here they are. I'm very excited. All right, well, you can watch Sarah Gonzalez, I think, on the News and Why It Matters, and of course on YouTube as well, uh, Unfiltered. Sarah, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you. I appreciate it. Unfiltered on YouTube uh, is there as well. Make sure you subscribe to that. And if you'd like to see more of her and me and about 500 other awesome people, subscribe to Blaze TV. Uh, blazetv.com slash stew uh, use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll get 10 bucks off your subscription fee back in a minute certainly a lot of do as i say but not as i do type of stuff going on with this coronavirus is, uh, I mean, have you noticed that at all? It's kind of one of the things I've been picking up a little bit in the media. Uh, Bill de Blasio, who was banning people from going to the gym, decided to slip in one last gym appearance because, I mean, look, the guy's basically the rock. Look at him. You know, you're, you, you look at a picture of, of Bill de Blasio, you're like, that guy must be at the gym a lot. I, I, I can tell he cares a lot about his level of physical fitness and that's what you think of when you see Bill de Blasio because of how shapely he is. He looks, I mean, he looks like he could just step right into the ring and like Creed three and be the opponent of Adonis Creed. That's, that's, that's the way I see it. But anyway, he went to the gym and he had no real good excuse for it. So he decided the next day to try to come up with one. And here it is. I knew in advance that it was a very socially distanced situation. There was almost no one there. I had heard that information prior. Um, I suspected that we were all going to be about to close them down, and this would be the last chance to get some exercise. I got no exercise whatsoever over the weekend. I was in this building uh, a huge percentage of the time. I need exercise to be able to stay healthy and make decisions. I'm going to figure out some new way to do it going forward. I did not for a moment think there was anything problematic because I knew the dynamics. And again, 
I have to stay healthy so I can make the decisions for the people of the city. Mm, that's it. You need to, you need to be healthy to make decisions for the, uh, for the city. Is it me or did the uh, sign language guy not buy that? I felt like in the middle of that, he just kind of gave up, started making obscene hand, hand gestures. I don't even think he was saying the things that de Blasio was saying. You'll have to go back and monitor that for yourself. But that's kind of how I thought that went. Uh, so de Blasio tells you, like, you can't go to the gym. I'm just going to go to the gym real quick. Then we have an, an amazing story from the New York Times. Since the beginning of this, and I've said this to people, the surgical masks, they don't work on, on, uh, on this particular uh, coronavirus. It's, it's just the way, uh, you know, we've read it in a million, you know, we've seen it from all these authorities. You don't need to get the mask. They're not effective. It's just not what you need in this particular situation. You need the N95 masks. Remember that? Well, here's the thing. None of that apparently was true. There's a, a piece in the New York Times entitled Why Telling People That They Don't Need Masks Backfired. And it says uh, the third point is, of course, the masks work, maybe not perfectly and not all to the same degree, but they provide some protection. Their use has always been advised as part of the standard response to being around affected people, especially for people who may be vulnerable. World Health Organization officials wear masks during their news briefings. That was the reason I had bought a few in early January. And I've been conducting research in Hong Kong which has a lot of contact with mainland China and expected to go back. I had studied and taught about the sociology of pandemics and knew from the SARS experience in 2003 that health officials in many high-risk Asian countries had advised wearing masks. So they told us we didn't need them, and then they said, of course they work. Also, you have this part, um, the the other quote here, if we could. Uh, Many health experts, no doubt motivated by the sensible and urgent aim of preserving the remaining masks for healthcare workers, started telling people that they didn't need masks, but they wouldn't know how to wear them. Well, I mean, they're just admitting they lied to us, and, and they're saying it's for good reasons, but there's not really good reasons to lie uh, to the people who are voting you in office. That's, that's not okay. I mean, I feel like the media complains about that a lot. I know I complain about it a lot. Just because they say it's not a big deal and you don't really need them, that's not, that's not a good answer here. Um, it is another one of those things where it's like, do as I say, not what I do. Well, we need the masks. You don't need the masks. Yeah, sure, they would help you with this virus, but eh, they don't work. Trust us, they don't work. This is a way you lose credibility, right? No one's going to believe you next time uh, that you come out with one of these recommendations, and that's not a good thing. You, you need, this is why this long-term government stuff has, has been a problem. The stuff that we complain about every single day on this show and on Glenn's show. Why? Because you lose the credibility needed uh, in a crisis situation. You know, you can, you can prepare for a crisis like this in two ways, by doing things and by not doing things. By doing things are things like, I don't know, have a lot of masks so that we don't have a shortage. Uh, make sure you have enough respirators. Make sure you have enough hospital beds. Make sure you're working on a vaccine, even when it doesn't seem like there might be a, a disease right around the corner. They should have been working on a SARS and MERS uh, uh, vaccine this entire time. The money ran out when the disease kind of got out of the news, and these companies can't keep working on it unless we fund these things. I don't want the government to do basically anything. There's like four things I want them to do. One of them is make sure we're prepared for an outbreak like this. And of course, the one freaking thing I don't want them to do, um, or I do want them to do, they don't do. That's just, of course, just take it for granted. That's the way this is going to work. On the other side, you can prepare by not doing things. And one of the things you don't do is get $22 trillion in debt. One of the things you don't do is spend a bunch of money on turtle tunnels. One of the things you don't do is spend lots of money on bridges to nowhere. 
and spend all of your cash on frivolous things, uh, on giant programs, on bailouts for banks and bailouts for this and bailouts for that. When it comes to a situation like this where you really need to spend maybe a trillion or two dollars, when it's not the it was not the problem of the local bar uh, that has to close down, you're telling them to close down. They're going to go out of business. Now you need that money. And instead of being somewhat close to even in your budget, you owe twenty two trillion dollars. So this is a real problem. So you, you prepare by doing things and you prepare by not doing things. Uh, you know, this is the same thing your household would do. You, if you, you might prepare for uh, a health um, uh, situation by uh, making sure that you have uh, savings or insurance. And then you prepare by not doing things. You don't, you don't buy the Bugatti. You don't go out and buy the Porsche. You want to make sure you have a little bit of a reserve funds just in case something happens. You do those two things. And, you know, our government does the exact opposite. It doesn't prepare for the things that it should be preparing for, and it spends like crazy in good times, so when things go bad, it has nothing to spend. Uh, You know, as you would expect, a complete disaster in every single way. Back in a second. Happy to welcome Rob Eno back to the program. Rob is our resident media critic here at Blaze TV. And if he looks a little downtrodden tonight, it could be because he has a new book coming out that I imagine was very difficult to write and release so quickly. It's called How to Survive Life Without Tom Brady. Uh, Rob Eno, thank you for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's a very difficult day for you. This is a tough St. Patrick's Day. It's a tough St. Patrick's Day for Bostonians. Yeah. The governor shuts down. I'm from Massachusetts originally. The governor shuts down all the bars. Mm -hmm. Then Tom leaves. And you get no place to go drink your sorrows. <laughs> this is... It's unbelievable. I mean, but to be honest, I've been saying this for six to nine months now that this was going to be Tom Brady's last season as a New England Patriot. Really? I knew it when he didn't go to minicamp uh, and it was his last season. Uh, I just, I knew that he was not going to be back. And I've been trying to tell people for like nine months on my Prepare social yourself. media. Prepare yourself. This is not going to go well. Yeah. You know, get through all your stages of grief now. Yeah. <laughs> you never know if the world's going to end at the same time that Tom Brady's going to leave. I'm a little confused in that I don't know whether I'm going to, from now on, hate Tom Brady, hate the Patriots, or continue to hate both. I feel like I have to like let it organically manifest itself and see which one I hate. I can't tell. I mean, as an, as an Eagles fan, you can't really hate us that much. You beat us in one. You know, there's two teams that we've lost. You know, in our nine Super Bowls, yes, over the past twenty years, the embarrassment Giants, of who Richards. Who cares about that? Who cares about the, the Giants? Embarrass- just ignore that. Yeah, it's but, the Eagles. Know, the Eagles. The that's Eagles, the real one. Yeah, the Eagles won, and you know, the, the other team that might be in your division. Yeah, well, I don't even know who won. They are. Uh, you know. I, I want to get into uh, a little bit of the coronavirus and the way the media is kind of handling this. But one thing I noticed, oddly, living on Twitter as we tend to do in the media, uh, going back and forth and watching my feed, it's like seventy percent Corona death. And 30% NFL stars signing multi-million dollar contracts. It's a really weird time. It is, yeah, because that's the only other thing going on in yeah. sports, right? There is no sports except for curling. The Canadians kept curling going on. I have a uh, distant they? cousin that was in the national championships for <laughs> really? like, the, the, the younger folk. Mm-hmm. So they, they were still curling. I couldn't get it because I don't have the CBC here in the United States. But, um, but that's it. So the, you the NFL curling, owns UFC, it right now. Yeah. and uh, NFL talk. Uh, UFC is still happening? I feel like that's... Yeah, UFC is actually fighting in um, controlled arenas. We talked mm. about it on the news and why last week, uh, one of the week, one of the days you were off. They're, on Friday, they're actually having UFC fights 
at the UFC ring in Vegas mm -hmm. with no audience, but you can still bet on it and get it as pay-per-view. There you go. I guess that's something. Um, do you feel a little bit like a shut-in right now? Are you are you yeah, handling the quarantine a, well? I, I don't do quarantine well. I no. am an extreme extrovert, like ENTP on the Briggs Meyer, <laughs> like right. Leo, super yeah. out there and sitting home for these past four days because I started my you know kind of my quarantine. We're staying our six dis yep. six feet away. Mm -hmm. um, I started kind of not going out because I have diabetes. Um, I think a lot of this is overblown. I think when we find out that the, the death rate's going to be much lower, mm -hmm. like the South Koreans when we test people, but you know, you got to be safe with your own person. Yeah. And I have diabetes. I get pneumonia really fast um, if mm -hmm. I get a respiratory infection. So, you know, during a flu season, I take some precautions, but never to this extreme. Yeah, my wife is having, she's a big extrovert too. Like, because I, I could pretty much never run into another human being in my life and be fine with it. Uh, she's the other way. She is. I mean, she's used to living that life where she's out talking to people, she's seeing her friends, she's bringing the kids to meet up with other kids, and she's adjusting to an entirely new life this week. Uh, you know, look, it's a first world problem. I mean, it's still a nice place to live, and there's still, you know, we still have food and water and all the basics, but still, it's a big change for people. Yeah, it is. You know, you get Netflix, you only have so much Netflix. You, you, um, we're still working. I mean, at The Blaze, mm -hmm. we're still working. Uh, at I gotta come in here every day. Working from home. I gotta be in here every day. Yeah, you gotta be in here with you and like five of your closest friends. It seems like it's the weirdest thing. It is very working weird. Working through these halls. It's spacious. Uh, yeah, you get a lot spacious. of room to walk. Yeah. You get a boat. Yeah. In the hallway. You get a lot of stuff going um, on. Got all the all the water you could have, all the food you could have, <laughs> and it's all yours. So let me ask you about the way you've watched the media sort of develop with the story, because I think is I think the media's um, the way they've handled their jobs over the past few years has really hurt the actual messaging going out about the coronavirus and the seriousness of it. Where, because I'm with you, and we've done shows on it, where I think that the death rate's going to be much lower. It's going to wind up being under 1% most likely. Um, but that's still a serious issue. And if, you know, millions and millions of people get it, I mean, forget even how many people get sick with it. Look at what, contextually, what's happening. Countries are shutting down. The NBA is canceled its season. Uh, Major League Baseball is not starting. The Boston Marathon is canceled. The South by Southwest is canceled. Coachella is canceled. All these things. This has already had uh, an effect, not even to mention the thousands and thousands of points off the Dow. It's obviously a big story and real, and you see the way Donald Trump is handling it right now. He's saying it's real. A lot of conservatives, a lot of Republicans see this as so much hype because they just don't believe anything the media says. You're absolutely right. For, for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, I mean, basically my whole life, the media has acted one way towards Republicans and one way towards Democrats, and we know that they lie purposely. Mm -hmm about a lot of things. So when a story like this comes up, you want to have someone to trust. You want to have someone to look look at. And people like Brian Stelter that, you know, goes on and tells the Surgeon General that you're just acting as a mouthpiece for Trump and, you know, yeah. it's not the media's fault and, and all of these sorts of things. But yes, it is because it's what you've done for the past 20, 30, 40 years. And I, I think that all of this is somewhat overblown. I think that well, what's funny to me is, you know, you have people in the media a little bit and you've got friends that are conservatives. But last week we're all like, don't go out. Don't go anywhere near uh, anybody that you might get an elderly person. Mm -hmm. It's all for the elderly. Don't kill them. Mm -hmm. And this week they're like, I can't believe the overreach in the government. So I'm like, you were clamoring <laughs> for this. This is what you yeah. wanted to have happen. Well, it's a dangerous, we're, we're at a dangerous place because I think there's a lot of good reason um, to, I mean, what we're doing is buying time here, right? Maybe we can find out when, you know, we get closer to a way, maybe there's some treatment around the corner. 
more likely, though, we figure out a way to try to minimize and maybe not overrun hospitals. And, you know, all the things they're talking about. We've seen this actually happen in Italy. We've see, we're seeing it happen in France. It's happening in Spain. It's happening in Germany, um, among other places. South Korea's had a good handle on it. And they, but they've done it with massive surveillance that there's no way we would accept in this country. So it is, I think there is danger here, and it is a big story. Um, but there is that other side of it where to get someone to care about it, to get someone to actually feel like it's real, you need to have someone who is credible saying it. And it doesn't seem like there's anybody in Washington or anybody on, in the media who has the credibility to get that message across to both sides at the same time. Right. You're absolutely right. And, and they don't have the empathy, right? It's all, you must do this. You must not get people sick. You must yeah. upend your life. You must do this. Nobody seems to have any empathy for the, the millions of people that are going to be financially ruined by this. Yeah. And of course, the way, the, what they're going to do with that is take trillions of dollars and throw it at people. And that's going to be a whole other disaster later on uh, when we try to track down where all that money goes. Um, let's go to the Trump part of this, which I think is it's secondary, but interesting in that I think like when you're the president of the United States and you're going through something as significant as this, I mean, look, even Trump himself is saying it's significant, right? He's saying, you know, groups of 10 only. He's saying it could be July or August till this thing gets knocked out. When you're going through something like that as a president, it's natural for people to look at the way you're handling it and say, is this guy doing a good job or not? And I find it, I find most people that I talk to have absolutely no concept as to whether Trump is doing a good job or not, because they just don't believe what the media is saying. If you look at the media, they're saying he's doing everything wrong. If you look at some pro-Trump media, they're saying he's doing everything right with no exceptions. And it's almost impossible to figure out what the hell's going on. You're not going to be 100 percent right in anything like yeah. this. Right. This is this is a journey. We've talked before about the H1N1. No, they're not the same virus. Mm -hmm. It wasn't nonstop media coverage. No. 12,000 people died. Hundreds of thousand people got the disease. It wasn't Millions, yeah. like yeah. this. But no, when you when you look at it with with the way that the media is treating Donald Trump, you get people like the Surgeon General and infectious disease experts that don't even work for the government that said, no, they were doing this right behind the scenes all the time. Yeah. Yes, maybe he said things that in a Trumpian way he shouldn't have said, but he had the team on it. He stopped flights from China yeah. immediately. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, immediately was two months too late because the Chinese knew about this in right. you know, November and let it go for two months without telling anybody. And hundreds of thousands of Chinese traveled across the world bringing COVID-19 with them. Yeah, I mean, that, that, and, that, and we got about 20 seconds here, but that was the, the focus of the media largely seems to be Republicans are racist for noticing that it came from China. That's right. a really important part of the story for, for re judging their government and judging what they did. You're absolutely right. And, and that's what it all boils down to racism. It's how woke you are, mm -hmm. even when millions of lives are in the balance. Rob, you know, Blaze TV media critic. You can sign up for the newsletter. Where are we going for the newsletter? Uh, newsletters kind of stop, but we're doing more um, more on the Blaze. So right. writing more on the Blaze. Very cool. Go to the Blaze at theblaze.com and uh, join Rob there. Back in a second. Let's say after that segment, I invited uh, Rob Eno out uh, maybe for drinks or to hang out for a little while. He would really, really hope he had the shirt that says, hey, sorry, can't make it, self-quarantined. Because that's an easy way to get out of anything that you don't want to do. And Rob would be like, oh, gosh, I really don't. I mean, it's much easier than just breaking the news to me that you don't want to hang out. It's no big deal. You got the shirt on. You should get it. It's at stewdoesmerch.com. That's there. The Nancy Pelosi pens. 
there, there. You can go, go hook yourself up there. And, of course, uh, subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know that you like this stupid show. A lot more coming up tomorrow. I mean, I would, at some point, it would be great to do something that's not about people getting sick. I don't know. Maybe that's in our future at some point, in the long-distant future.